This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. We have been on a, on a journey about living a life in the valley. If you're new to our church and you weren't here two weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, we believe that God can still be God even when you're living the life in the valley. Amen. And so uh, I, I know that uh, sometimes the church, you know, I listen to radio programs and radio commercials. They'd like to, it's like they present themselves like come to Mosaic and you're going to learn how to live on the mountaintop. And so we kind of do the opposite, like come to Mosaic so you can learn how to live and thrive in the valley of life. Um, and so we embrace the valley. It's not something we go looking for, but we know that life just uh, sometimes puts us there. And we have to learn how to thrive while we're there. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Real quick, you know, some of the components or some of the things that we could learn while living in the valley. And one of the things that we said was, number one, we can unshackle God. Unshackle God. I don't have time to read the Old Testament scripture, but basically it was a story where the enemy thought the Israelites could only win on the mountaintop. And that really resonated with me. And I really felt like it was important for us as a church to hear that uh, that's not true. That yes, God is the God of the mountaintop, but he's also the God of victory in the valley, even when we're going through the valley. So number one thing is unshackle God from thinking uh, only, you know, and, and try to pigeonhole God that somehow he's only God when things are going well. Uh, the second thing is we talked about is embrace the valley. You know, all of us at one time are in the valley. We'll all be there. There's no one is, who's not ever lived a life in the valley. And so embrace it. Don't be afraid. God is with you. Uh, the, the, the third thing was remember God's reason. There's a purpose. And we're asking, that's one of the things I didn't share, but one of the things when you're in the valley, one of the things I've learned later on in life is I would ask this question. I don't ask the question, why me? When you say why me, uh, it's a close cousin. What you're really kind of saying is, I can understand them. I can understand why they would go through the valley, but why would I have the, you know, why am I in the valley? And do you hear that? It's a little bit like it's okay for them to go through hard times, but it's not okay for me to go through hard times. And so I don't really say, why me? I literally ask myself, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? So I don't spend a lot of energy and time, and we talked about second week on figuring out uh, why I found, you know, it's good to find out why I'm in the valley, but, you know, like, is, is it Satan? Is it uh, my own, my own uh, bad decisions? Or is it just life uh, unfolding itself? So God has a reason. So the fourth thing we talked about, it's not all about you. You know, some of my the reasons I'm going through what I'm going through in times of my life, God has a bigger plan. And I talked about how there was a time that I thought I wouldn't be here. 
I, I didn't, um, early, early on when we first uh, birthed the church, I, uh, before we birthed the church, I really thought I was going to be gone. I was uh, looking for a transition and, and the Lord didn't allow that to happen. And I remember going through a very a kind of a valley moment and little did I realize that God had a, a, a different plan and I would say a better plan. And, and I shared two weeks ago that how I was blessed to meet all of you and all of you have enriched my life. Those of you who are part of my our church, you have enriched my life and I am uh, the Christian that I am today uh, didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened because I had the blessing to rub shoulders with you and meet with you and be with you and you pray with me and me pray for you to all kind of work together. I didn't see it when I was in the valley. I couldn't see uh, five years ahead. I couldn't see 10 years ahead and I definitely couldn't see 15 years ahead, but I trusted God and, I, and he could. And so uh, here we are today. So I'm very grateful. So, uh, so learning wh what we're doing. So number six, let's go straight to six. Be aware when attacks most often happen. So we talked about that last week. When things, you know, when are you, you know, the enemy's scouring around for opportunities. You know, he may not be the cause of your valley, but you could, you could be asking, uh, he could be asking like, is there an opportunity for me to, to interject my, uh, this is uh, the devil talking, not me, you know, this dark spirit upon someone, you know, maybe a bad grade or uh, a bad breakup or uh, tension in the, in the relationship. And so he's looking for opportunities to jump in and, and uh, wreak havoc in your life. So be aware when attacks happen. And he's, you know, he sends his minions out to scour to see who's vulnerable. And be aware as a church who might be vulnerable, right? You know, we want to help each other out. We don't want to uh, just watch people get devoured by the enemy. So if you can be a help, then be a help. And so be, be aware of, of the timing. You know, when you find yourself in a valley, be, be aware when attacks most happen. We talked about a husband who might get in a fight with his wife and, and there's tension at home and all of a sudden uh, opportunities will arise itself on the internet or some TV show. And those when, that's when the enemy is looking for opportunities to attack. And the seventh thing I didn't mention last week, but I'll mention it now, it's important to listen and obey. Listen and obey. It's based on the scripture that we read from uh, two, uh, last week. And when it talks about David and the Philistines, remember that he was had to, they were being attacked again. And then he listened to what the Lord said and he obeyed. That's a challenge, isn't it? To hear what God is calling us to do and obey on his timing. A lot of times we might, we might want to, uh, and we're not sure. We feel a little insecure about listening to the Lord and obeying his commands. Uh, sometimes the window of opportunities are, is very specific. And so do I, you know, do I listen and obey? It's, and it's hard and I understand that. But the, the challenge for us as a church is to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying and to obey what Jesus is saying. To listen and obey. So many of us are so busy, we say, well, we don't have time to pray. Uh, we don't have time to read you know, I'm taking care of these little kids and they consume all my time. I'm here to tell you as a pastor, and I say this, and the only reason I tell you that's because I know it in my own life. 
is that we don't have time not to pray and not to read and not to listen to the Holy Spirit. You and I would be fooling ourselves that somehow we can ignore spending time with the Lord and reading his word and somehow somehow just kind of organically know how to listen and to obey. You know, we need to be in his presence. So I wouldn't challenge and admonish us. We don't have time not to listen. King David at the time when he was being attacked by the Philistines didn't act on his own experience. And he already had lots of experience. He was 30 years old. He probably had 15 years of, of battle experience. But he didn't rely on his experience in this portion of the story. He relied on the inquired of the Lord often. He inquired of the Lord often. That's the beauty of having God's word. You know, not every generation had a written word in front of them. But we do. And not everybody uh, in, in the span of time has had the opportunity to have the Holy Spirit to live in them if you're a believer. But we do. And so we have direct access to God. He sends his Holy Spirit to reside in us, to help us, so that we can hear clearly as best as we can. And we have God's word. The Holy Spirit is whispering to us his truth through his word. So now we are, are part three. Part three. I don't have a title for it. Last week, some of you sent me titles. They were excellent. One was incredibly hilarious, but I can't repeat it. So uh, it, was, it was funny. So uh, Jeremy, thank you. <laughs> but we don't know it's Jeremy, but thank you. So my title for today is Perspective and Projection. I would like for us to pay attention to what the Lord is speaking to us today. Even if you're a visitor and if you never plan to come back, trust me, the Lord wants to speak to you this morning. Please don't do what I used to do. You know what I used to do when I would listen to my pastor? Uh, not when I was really younger, but when I was a little bit older, when I was really arrogant, uh, super cocky, um, it came across as being confident, but I was really cocky, and I, I didn't really know how prideful I was. And so when I would hear a message preached by the pastor, I would uh, arrogantly uh, poke holes at his message. You know, uh, well, he should have used this scripture, or he should have said that scripture, or boy, he took that out of context. And that's what I would listen, and that's what I would hear in my head the whole time. I was very critical of what he was uh, uh, the, the minister was saying, well, why didn't he use this verse instead of that verse? And let me just tell you, uh, you don't have to do that for me because I already think it after every service. Like, oh, I should have said that. Um, I remember our guest speaker, Corey, was here a few uh, months ago, and, he, and he's, one of the first things he said was like, I forgot to say this. Like, welcome to the club. As soon as you stand up here, you're going to forget things you should have said or, or could have said. Don't, don't do that. Don't do what I did as an arrogant, punk, cocky, think that I know it all. And what I was, didn't know, it was I was actually missing what Jesus was trying to speak to me. So I don't want you to miss it this morning. I only say it because you, I don't think any of you do that, but just in case you need a reminder, don't do it. The Holy Spirit wants us to listen. There was a study done years and years ago, and I wish I could find the actual study. I cannot, but trust me, it was a true study, all right? 
It was, a, it was a study done, it was research done on the best housekeepers in America. There was a competition to see who were the best um, hotel housekeepers. Um, back in the day, you'd, I guess you'd call them uh, maids. And so the best housekeepers, and they did this competition, and each big uh, hotel chain would send their best, and they all had this competition in Orlando. I do remember those details. It was in Orlando. And people would come, and uh, the judges would come and judge every room that these housekeepers would clean. And what they found out is that there was about five candidates who were the best of the best. They did the best job cleaning the hotel room. And so they gathered the five people and wanted to know what their secret was. What did they do that separated themselves from the other hundreds of candidates? Because if you were to walk into any of those rooms, they all looked the same pretty much. But what separated the five compared to the others? And so what they did was they would actually go into a room, uh, clean the room, and then they would lie on the bed. They would lie down as though they were a customer and they would lie in their pillow and then they'd see, oh look, there's lint on that, on that fan blade. Or look, there's lint on that, on that uh, light. Uh, they would sit at the desk and they turn on all the, the gadgets, make sure all the plugs worked. And they notice, whoa, right there in the corner of this desk, there's some leftover particles of food or, or whatever. And then what they would do is they would actually, these five, they all did the same thing without collaborating. Uh, they would go to the bathroom and uh, remember one lady saying that she would lay down in the bathtub. And during, while she was in the bathtub, she noticed there was soap scum under the dish uh, holder. So she would lay down and she could see as though she was taking a bath. And then someone said they sat on the commode or the loo, all right? And, uh, and they sat on the loo and, and they actually closed the door as though they were in the bathroom privately. And when as they closed the door and sitting on the toilet, they could see in the corner that there was dust bunnies in that little corner that typically you wouldn't see if the door was open. You know, as, as uh, and, and I do that in my house. No, I, uh, my wife has to come behind me and like, Come on. Uh, and so, but you know, if you close the door and then you can see the back of the crevices of the bathroom that typically nobody would see. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that they had a different perspective. They didn't come in as a normal uh, cleaning person. Uh, they would come in, you know, and everybody would do the vacuuming and they would see from this perspective, but the, the top five would see from a different perspective. They put themselves in the customer's shoe. And so it leads me to a story that we've been going through. I've been reading the Old Testament. We talked about 1 Kings, and it's leading me to 2 Kings. How many of you brought paper Bibles? Raise your paper Bibles to me. There you go. Yeah, look at that. How many have apps? Apps? There you go. Even if you don't have one, just raise your hand, I'll believe you. Uh, turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 3. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It is about five minutes. And I know you guys have been trained from YouTube and not to pay attention for five minutes. I'm just kidding. That's just the little kids. Here's a situation of a king that's in the valley. 
Joram, son of Ahab, became king of Israel. Now, you have to understand that Israel is now divided. There's Judah, and then there's Israel. So here's the king of Israel. In Samaria, in the 18th year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned 12 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as his father and mother had done. He got rid of the sacred stone of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He did not turn away from them. He, he caused the northern kingdom to, uh, to commit. Now Misha, king of Moab, raised sheep, and he had to pay the king of Israel a tribute of a 100,000 lambs and the wool of a 100,000 rams. But after Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And so at the time of King Joram set out from Samaria and mobilized Israel, so now he's going to go to war. Then he sends a message to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me and fight against Moab? I will go with you, he replied. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. By what route shall we attack, he asked. Through the desert of Edom, he answered. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and then brought another friend, the king of Edom. And after a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. What, shall, uh, what, exclaimed the king of Israel, has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us to the hands of the Moabites? But Je uh, Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? And so they find this guy named Elisha. If you uh, just scroll down, Elisha in verse 13 says, Elisha said to the king of Israel, why do you want me to, why do you want to involve me in this? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. No, the king answered, because it is what the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us into the hands of the Moabites. So now there's this battle coming on. In verse 16, here we go. He said, this is what the Lord says. I will fill this valley with pools of water, for this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you and your cattle and your other animals will drink. Well, I may, did, I may not have read, but there's a portion of there where they found themselves in this valley, and it's desert, and they're running out of water. They have nothing for their, themselves or their, their horses. And so that's why they, uh, they talk to the, to the prophet Elisha. They want to know an answer from God, and God gives them a promise. He says, for this you will see neither wind nor rain, yet the valley will be filled with water, and you and your cattle and your animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hands. In verse 20, for the next morning about the time offering the sacrifice, there it was. Water was flowing from the direction of Edom and the land was filled with water. But look what happens in verse 21. It's an awesome story. Now all the Moabites had heard that the kings had come to fight against them. 
So every man, young and old, who could bear arms was called up and stationed on the border. But when they woke up early in the morning, the sun was shining on the water to the Moabites across the way. The water looked like red, looked red like blood. And then somebody says, that's blood. Those kings must have fought and slaughtered each other. Let's go and plunder the them. But when the Moabites came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and fought them until they fled. And the Israelites invaded the land and slaughtered the Moabites. Let's go to verse 26. When the king of Moabites saw the battle had gone against him, he took him 700 swordsmen to break through to the king of Edom, but they failed. Look how bad it got. Then he took his firstborn son, who was to succeed him as king, and offered him as a sacrifice on the city wall. The fury against Israel was great. They withdrew and returned to their own land. There's a few things I just want to extrapolate from this story, this passage. When I think of this, when I read this story, I think of two words I kind of alluded to it in their title, projection and perspective. Simply put, this is a challenge for all of us. And again, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. The best comparison I can think of, and we actually have a projector back there, but if you've ever been to a movie theater, it's like being in a movie theater when I say projection. You see something on a big screen where the movie is. Uh, the, the movie is projected on this little machine, the projector. It's way in the back in its small area, and sometimes you don't even see it or notice the projector. I believe what's going on in this story is a lot of projection. Projection is when someone tries putting their feelings, flaws, and other quirks that they have themselves and puts it on someone else that they're arguing with. Someone who projects will shift the blame to ignore their own problems. And one of the greatest dangers of projection is if one does not deal with your own failures and ask God for forgiveness and realize that where yourself comes from, if you don't have a good understanding of your self-worth in Christ, then what you end up doing is perpetuating a downward spiral of bad decisions and you project onto others. And when the Moabites look down in the valley, they saw red, and they jumped to the conclusion that it must be blood. It must be that those people down there are a violent people because they themselves were a violent people. So they projected the kind of people they are onto what they saw, and they just thought and assumed that they could slaughter them. They thought the Israelites were slaughtering each other. And the Moabite king was about to learn a hard lesson. Hard lesson. A few years ago, I shared a long, long time ago, one of my first sermons 15 years ago was about the Beatitudes. And one of the Beatitudes is, uh, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. There's not one of us in here that doesn't like mercy. Mercy's for the miserable, the ones who don't really uh, have it. They need mercy. I needed mercy. We love receiving mercy, but we 
are challenged in giving mercy. Have you ever felt that way towards a brother, a family member? You know, I'm talking to some of my friends who are Colombians. You know, uh, one of the biggest challenges we have as our own family is that I have aunts and uncles that um, never call me nephew because um, my mom, in, you know, back in those days, uh, you would call my mom a bastard child, all right? So she was, she was illegitimate. And so if she's illegitimate, then her kids are the bastard's children. That's what I was for years. I didn't really know I had cousins until recently. The economy has gone south in Colombia, and I'm getting a lot of WhatsApp texts. Hey, cuz. Hey, best friend. Hey, my favorite cousin. And um, and, I, and I'm shooting straight with you. I find I find it hard to be merciful and gracious. Because back in the day, we would hear stories how they, my aunts, how they would treat my mom. When she was growing up, she was sent away. She never got educated like her half-sisters did. They belittled my mom and ridiculed my mom and, and shamed my mom and insulted my mom and by de facto, they did that to me and my brothers. Uh, but today, but today, uh, we get weekly emails and requests, hey, close family members. So I struggle. I struggle with what I'm preaching to you about. We show, typically, we, sh we struggle with showing mercy. Because we have our own troubles of dealing with our own feelings, our own emotions, our own history, our own family background, our own education. One of the things that we struggle with, and I know that this happens almost every time our country goes through, uh, you know, there's a, a police brutality uh, situation going on, and maybe some of our knee-jerk reaction is, well, they had it coming to them. We have people that live in Tallahassee that knock on our doors at the church and, and it's very difficult sometimes to find grace and mercy. And it's hard not to think, you know, what are they doing? You know, when someone is out in the corner with a sign like, come on, get a job. I've heard people say, get a job. And so giving mercy is not that easy. Receiving mercy, you know, I'll take it any day. What Jesus is saying here, blessed are the merciful, is that we don't say you get what you deserve. Thank you, Jesus, I don't get what I deserve. I don't know about your life, but I know what I deserve. Sometimes I'll give you a little, little uh, glimpse of my life in the past. And, and it's not good, right? If you were here last week, you remember what I called that, that kid when I was growing up in New York, the kid that rode the short bus. I mean, 
I mean, I was never ending insulting him from kindergarten to sixth grade when we moved. Never ending insulting him. But Lord, please don't let anybody insult me. So it's easy to receive mercy. It's hard to give mercy. Mercy, what Jesus is saying here is, listen, and this is what I I try to challenge my family with when we see people that maybe it would be easy to judge. I've learned to say this. If I live their life, if I had their parents, if I had their lack of education, if I didn't have any spiritual upbringing, and if I had a young, a young age, somebody would have forced drugs on me, um, and if, I probably would have liked it, and I probably would not have gone to school, I probably would never have gone to church, I probably would never uh, cared about authority, all I wanted was the next thing. And so merciful is like saying this, if I had your family, if I had your emotional history, if I had your education or lack of education, if I had your financial situation, I'd probably end up doing the same thing. Basically, I'm no different. I'm probably no different than my cousins who was from a young age taught to not like my mom. Uh, And so, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So when we see someone living in sin, we call it sin, but not from a judgmental perspective, but from a broken heart perspective. Of course, sin matters, and we call it out, and we'll call it out here at this church but our heart is broken when we call it out. We mourn for their circumstances and situation and for the the results of their sinful life. We mourn. We recognize that many of humanity's problems stem from sinful living and we are broken over it. So when I see, uh, you know, one of those high-profile cases of crime and someone gets shot and killed or anything like that, I say, Lord, help me to be broken over this. Help me not to judge it. I don't know the whole story. Help me never say, well, they deserve it. Because I would say, thank God we don't get what we deserve. Thank God I don't get what I deserve. So what we're trying to do is place someone else in their shoes. Place yourself in their shoes, which is different than projection. It's the healthy projection. I'm not saying, Eric, I'm just picking on him, that you know maybe you do something I, I don't agree with. It's, it's almost saying like, boy, if I lived your life, you, I would do the right thing. That's not how we play it here at Mosaic Church. We say, I didn't live his life. I didn't have his parents. I didn't have his schooling. I didn't have his social settings. I didn't have his church life. I didn't have his 
you know, his personal friend life. All I can say is if, if I lived your life, I'd probably be just like you if it were not for the grace of God. Only Jesus can break that. Only Jesus can break that. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, for I am the least, the apostle Paul says, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Isn't that crazy? Christianity, Paul persecuted the church. That means he killed people. Okay? Kill people. The people he killed got to be in heaven before the apostle Paul, but they applauded him when he got there. I tell you, that's, that's heavy for me to understand. They applauded the guy that killed him because they understood this whole thing about mercy. There's a mid-century uh, person named John Bradford, but it's a famous saying. We all probably have heard it. There but for the grace of God goes John in reference to a group of prisoners being led to execution. There for, but for the grace of God goes Mario. So when I see someone out there who is easy to judge, I ask the Lord, help me to remember that. If it weren't for the grace of God, I'd probably be right where they're at. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I'd probably be just like my half-cousins. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I'd probably be just like some family members. So as I wrap up, and I'm going to ask the band to come up in a second. So principle number eight. As we read the story, be careful who you partner with. The passage in 2 Kings. King Jehoshaphat, at least from my perspective, should not have been there. Principle number nine, believe in grace and mercy. When you're in the valley, believe in grace and guidance. Do not, let me encourage you, when you're in the valley, do not dig deeper in the valley with shovels of anger, hatred, and despair. That would be compounding the situation. Ask for grace. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Spend time with Jesus. Ask him to remind you of his truth. Ask us to have his perspective. Help us to project Christ onto others, not our shortcomings, our sinful behavior. And number 10, walk in faith. When you're in the valley, you're going to have to trust God. I had a situation uh, many, 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 many years ago. I've never really had the experience of being... Um, uh, lied about and there was uh, someone uh, was sharing some lies about me and I was I'm telling you it knocked me out emotionally I was I was struggling but I remember the Lord helped me Lord help me to help me to do the right thing 
Lord, help me not to do what my flesh wants. Help me to do the right thing. Help me not to dig the valley that I'm in. Help me not to make it deeper with anger and, you know, all the really sad, dark things I was thinking. What I would suggest is that you dig deep in faith. You know too many of our brothers and sisters in our journey with Jesus who have been found in the valley and have given up. You don't have to raise your hands, but we all know people who've had rough times and they've walked away from the faith. I'm suggesting instead of digging down with bitterness and hatred and frustration, dig down, dig deep in your faith and trust Jesus. Psalm 1611, as I end with this, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You fill me with joy in your presence. Uh, there are quite a few of you, I know your story. Um, and some of you have been through really difficult uh, times in the valley. And I am just um, encouraged by your life. And I'm not going to call you out. I talked to a couple of people already. And uh, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged that you're still walking by faith and not by sight. You're walking in faith. You've dug into, you, it's like, Lord, I, I, I know I'm in this situation, but I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to trust your word. People always ask me, what's the difference between campus ministry and church ministry? Because I did campus ministry for so long. And I'm like, wow, that's, there's a big difference. You know, usually when I'm dealing with an 18-year-old, a 22-year-old, it's like, um, pray for me because I don't know what my major is. Pray for me because uh, my boyfriend just broke up with me. Uh, pray for me because... Uh, I'm struggling with my boyfriend, you know, the, the, the tension there. Um, sometimes you'll, it gets tough. Like I had to wake up a young man and tell him that his dad passed away. You know, I had to do that twice, you know, um, and, or maybe there's struggles at home. And but I said t today it's, you know, when you're dealing with older people, it's a little bit different. The complexities of life's challenges are a little bit more complex. I had a, and, and they don't go to church here, it was a long time ago, had a lady come up to me, I've uh, been married 30 years, and she told me she never loved her husband, ever. What can we do? Some of you personally have, have dealt with, as adults, have dealt with losses in your life. I mean, and so that's where I want to challenge you and encourage you. Uh, don't give up. Don't have wrong perspective and don't project wrongly. But allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Walk in, walk in the, the spirit of mercy. We want to receive mercy, but we want to be givers of mercy. We want to unshackle God. 
And so let me encourage you to do that today and encourage you for those who are doing it. You may not feel like you're victorious. You feel like you're still in the valley, but you're still walking by faith. And I want to encourage and, uh, and just congratulate you to keep going. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, what you're doing. I pray, God, right now, if anybody's going through a tough time, and Lord, they're struggling with like, ah, I should just give up. I should just go back to where I came from. And so every high, eye closed, head bowed, just real quick to say, Pastor Mario, can you just pray for me? Anybody's hand just raised? Yes. Amen. Yeah. Yes. You know, as I read that story in Second Kings, it would have been so easy for one of the kings says, I'm out of here. Seven days of no water. I'm out of here. He would not have survived going back the way he came. The Lord provided the answer. So I'm praying that God will provide an answer for you. And I'm not saying that will come in a form of change of circumstances, but as the psalmist said, is that you bring us joy and peace. Lord, I pray for joy and peace in everybody that raised their hand. That could only come from you. It could only be explained that it is from you. So Lord, I thank you, God, for loving us, being with us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Lord, your presence is our reward. So Lord, help us to be aware of your presence in a greater way. And Lord, help us to walk in mercy. Help us to love people the way you love them. In Jesus' name. Everybody, let's stand up and let's just send, uh, finish our time uh, by singing this third song. I just think it's, it works well. Although we did not coordinate it, I think it works really well for us to just wrap up what God is saying to us. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.